Welcome back to Retirement Success. I'm your host, Dennis Heath, and today we talk to another expert to guide us through the intricacies of retirement and aging. Everything from health to finance to your psychological well-being. So let's introduce our expert for today's episode. And today we welcome on the show Peter Black, a professional coach. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Dennis, and good to be here with you to talk about retirement. So most people don't think of going to a coach for advice or help on retirement. And in fact, we had on another show recently, Martin Williams, who is a counsellor. So to start with, can you help us understand the difference between counsellor and coach? Counsellor, as I understand it, is more dealing with probably past issues in one's life whereas a coach is moving you towards something in the future using a current position. Uh, that being said, I often find that I'm probably dealing with issues in people's past lives with the caveat that I'm not a counsellor, but I'm happy to listen if they wish to talk about those particular issues. Uh, but my focus is more about how we're going to plan and strategize your future, whether that's three months or three decades. Right, right. So that gives us some, some clarity on, on the difference. And when we were chatting the other day, you mentioned a word that I hadn't heard before, which was unretirement. So can we just explore for a moment unretirement? Well, I think go back to the fundamental definition of retirement mm. and uh, start from that position because that's been a concept that's been around for a while, but only probably really in the last generation or two has it become such a significant period of people's lives. Traditionally, it was probably more when your body was worn out in a workforce that was predominantly what one might call manual or blue-collar blue labour. Mm -hmm. And this was your rest and recuperation effectively before you died, if you hadn't died in the workforce already. <laughs> right. And uh, it was tied into when employers or maybe the state would provide a pension, which we notionally associate with retirement. I remember when I first got into this field, I thought, well, what do we mean by retirement? And I looked up the dictionary and I remember vividly the description was withdraw to privacy and seclusion. Will we retire to bed? Mm. And I thought, is that what people are actually looking for? And often when you put that definition to them, they say, well, no, it's not. So then we've seen the growth of what we call the third stage of life. And this is life beyond probably 55 or 60. What's the third stage or the third phase? It was the time when we are pursuing the things that we want to do. Traditionally, it was probably more leisure-oriented and social-oriented, not so much uh, working. But what we've seen, to answer your question, Dennis, is in recent years, and particularly post-pandemic, uh, but it had been rising for probably about 10 years or so, the baby boomer generation has maybe tried retirement in the traditional notion, mm. or more to the point, had a long holiday after they sold their business or finished their 
work voluntarily or involuntarily. They've ticked off a few things off their bucket list or their to-do list, and maybe that to-do list was given to them by their significant other, and they've done all that, and they decided, well, I don't want my significant other to be the boss for the rest of my life. I'm going to go back to work. <laughs> okay. I'm, effective, I'm effectively unretiring. And when we, we lived in the notion of three score and 10, by 70, we were dead. We retired at 65 if we lived that long. We had a five-year uh, hiatus before we died. But now we're looking at with longevity and better health and better technology systems, uh, we could be living for another three decades after we retire, as we would uh, mm. traditionally have associated with it. And that's a long period to be in a leisure state. And I know when I did my professional retirement coaching accreditation back in 2010, the trainer at the time said, when leisure becomes the purpose, it's no longer leisure. Mm. I've heard clients say, I love golf, but more than two times a week, I don't enjoy it anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, and just going back to your accreditation as a coach, uh, can you just give us a quick background of how you got to uh, to be in that role of coach? Sure. I got into coaching in 2007. Uh, I'd come out of a 26-year career in a professional accounting firm. I took an amicable redundancy, and I ended up actually having what I call my first retirement at the age of 47, or my first gap year was the other way I described it. Mm. During that period, I did a career transition program with one of these big professional uh, companies, a company called DBM. I had a 12-month career transition program. I explored a number of things in that year. I then was asked if I'd like to be a consultant. Uh, so instead of being a client, become a consultant. And then I was helping clients who had in turn been retrenched or terminated from organisations through their transitions. And I remember as we were doing the transition planning with them, I could help them get another job, I could help them start a business, I could help them pursue a university course or a travel plan or a city change. The hardest coaching I found in that transition uh, consulting was actually helping people into retirement, particularly if that retirement was brought forward from when they thought it might have been otherwise, or it was effectively involuntary because of health or other reasons. So I, together with a number of other people, started having some discussions and I looked around for some professional training and I found this retirement coaching course uh, based out of the US, did it online back in 2010, and that's how I became accredited as a retirement coach, which I do as an integral part of my uh, business and executive coaching practice here in Sydney. Right, right. So you have actually retired and unretired yourself. Correct. So you understand Correct. the process and the emotions and all of that and the yes. challenges. Yes. Yes, and uh, albeit I was only 47 when I had what I called my first retirement, uh, so very young and not many other people of my age around for me, but it was an option, and, and it's mm. probably the other thing that is important to recognise. There's no official age of retirement anywhere really in the world. There are ages that are in our 
social security, our taxation, our pension systems at which you are eligible to do certain things, which is what generally motivates people and how we get the misnomer of a retirement age. But there's no such thing as a true retirement age. You can retire at 25. You've probably seen the FIRE movement, which is the financial independence retire early. So massively in your 20s and 30s, get your financial independence so that you can retire at 35 or 40. Uh, Mm. But at that age, you've still got a lot of life to live. And is that really what you want? Yes. Well, 65 is the sort of notional retirement age. And that was invented, I think it was in the 1800s by a German bureaucrat who wanted to reward army veterans for their service by giving them a pension. Mm. And he chose 65 because most people didn't live longer than 65. Correct, <laughs> yeah. And, and similar, similar vein, I think it was when they got the actuary to actually determine how many people would end up being eligible, it was less than 1.5% mm. of people would actually live to 65. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when I did the retirement coaching course, they said, if we applied the same criteria now, given our longevity, retirement age would be up into our 90s. Yes, it probably would, because many of us make it that far and, and even beyond. Yes. So yes. it's very different to when my parents retired in the, the 60s, and there was that notion that once you retire, 65 is the cut-off date where you become basically useless and sit in the garden and read a book until the Grim Reaper comes to visit. Um, but it's very different now, and, it, and it's different for different people. Is there such a thing as a typical client for you? Who, who are your typical clients? The answer is no, there's no such thing as mm. a typical client. There's no such thing as a typical retirement. And I think that is probably one of the biggest challenges that people face in that there's no rules. If we think about our life up until 65, much of our life path is somewhat preordained. We're children, we go to school. We're adults, we get into the workforce. We have relationships. We work for organisations. Generally, we start out with a full-time job. It's only in latter years you start exploring my own business or part-time work or flexible work or whatever. Mm. But we get to this age of 65 and we have a blank canvas. And I think that's what is one of the most challenging things for most people when they do actually retire, that there's no particular template that you follow because your Mm. template is going to be dictated by your own motivations, your own financial position, your own family and relationship position. Do you have significant others? Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Do you have aged parents? And so you have to effectively start with that blank canvas and paint it how you like. And I think that's the the biggest challenge. Yeah, sure, because suddenly structure has gone. And, Correct. And you have no deadlines. Nothing is urgent except you know, no, paying no. your electricity bills and stuff like that. But there are no deadlines. You don't have to get up at a certain time to go to work. You don't get home at a certain time to have dinner and so forth. So all of that structure has just gone overnight, which, if you're not prepared for it, I guess comes as quite a shock. Yes. And when every day becomes Sunday... It's quite challenging because, <laughs> yeah. because at the moment, the weekends may define 
the break between the, the work weeks, whereas when every day is Sunday, when you don't have that structure, as you say, of the work, nor the purpose, nor the social connections, nor the time management, nor the income, uh, there are some different challenges. Uh, just to answer an earlier question, is there a mm. typical client of mine? Not really, but the ones that I have worked for, generally it has been a company or uh, in many cases a professional partnership who is wanting to help someone transition out of the organisation, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in professional partnerships, partners who have been under a partnership deed, this is what they've been doing all their life, how do we help them plan for life beyond a professional partnership? Or it's in the situation where someone has been retrenched and I've been doing services, and that's how I started in it, and retirement was one of the options. In all honesty, Dennis, most individuals do not believe they need a retirement coach and probably more importantly will not actually pay to have retirement coaching. Right. It may come up if they are having a financial planner talk about their finances and does a fairly holistic approach in terms of their financial planning to say, well, what do you actually want to do and has a broader discussion than just the financial aspects. And that's often the challenge for people who have actually got sufficient financial resources. They've got too many choices as to what to do. But once again, going back to my earlier point, they can't spend all their time or all their money on leisure because they lose a little bit of the the luster of the joy of leisure and pleasure. Yes, and I, I was going to ask you, what are some of their primary concerns is it usually money at the top of their concerns about retirement what are the concerns that come up in your sessions i think given that we're you know you you and i are both baby boomers and most of the people who are going to be probably listening to this are going to be in that baby boom generation because retirement is top of mind for them as baby boomers we've had a fairly good life we've been used to not only sort of technology changes but quite a booming economy and travel experiences and mm. you know materialistic experiences and whatever and that's probably what we want to continue and perpetuate into our latter years because we may have been having such a good time and not been prepared for the deferred gratification if we have not got our own independent financial resources in order, we are then relying on the state-provided pension, if there is one, which is not at the level of income that we may have been used to. Absolutely not. And Mm -hmm. so, yes, finance does become an issue. And one of the reasons that people are working longer, it's quite interesting here in Australia to look at things like the the increase in the workforce participation rate of people over the age of 55. Mm. Uh, There was a a study earlier on this year which said that of all the new jobs that were added in Australia between the end of 2019 pre-pandemic and the uh, end of 2022, 40% of them were over 55s. That was people going back to work. So part of it was that they could not travel during the pandemic, so I might as well stay working or go back to work. Part of it was my superannuation or pension is not at a level that I'd like it, so I might as well top that up. 
But the other thing that has come out of the pandemic particularly is the rise of the flexible and hybrid and remote uh, work models, mm. which means that we can work anywhere, anytime, and a lot more flexibly. So we can have more of a what we might call a portfolio life where we can do a bit of travel, we can do a bit of caring, whether for aged parents or for grandchildren, we can do a bit of work, we can do a bit of volunteering, and as long as I've got a laptop and a, a video camera, I can log into that Teams meeting anywhere in the world at the appropriate time. So there have been a whole range of factors that have fed into why people are unretiring or not retiring until a later stage because they've been able to transition and instead of going cold turkey from a full-time job to nothing, be able to adopt a better model that enables a slow phase into that next phase. Yes, as, as you say, with a spare room and a laptop, there are so many things that you can do now to, well, amuse yes. yourself or earn a living. If you're yes. prepared to yes. put a bit of effort into learning the technology, the choices mm. are just enormous. And it, it, it's also retire or rewire. So it's do you reinvent and say, well, actually, I've been quite happy with what I've been doing, but I'd like to do something different. And with the growth of new skills, occupations, there's no reason why you can't in your latter years use your experience, use your cognitive skills mm. to actually develop a new career, what we're calling encore careers. There's a guy called Mark Friedman in the US who's written a lot on encore careers. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, well, we might actually want to start something new. If you look at areas like the banks or even the, the public service, a lot of their customers are actually the older generation and quite like dealing with someone their own age rather than someone who's in their early 20s who's got no life experience, let alone work experience, to deal with sort of more complex issues. So there are going to be a lot of opportunities and with a declining birth rate around the world, we're actually going to need our older workers to be continuing to work. But as I mentioned earlier, they are looking for more flexibility and more of that portfolio approach. Mm. The traditional full-time job is not necessarily what they want, and they will choose to say no to it if it doesn't have the flexibility attached uh, or embedded therein. Sure. So retirement is not the end of work opportunity, and I, I choose my words carefully there, as opposed to job opportunities as an employee, but... There are so many other opportunities that open up once you once you are freed from corporate rat race. There's so many opportunities out there now. So, and, and you raise yeah. a, you raise a, a good point there, Dennis, yeah. because for some people, retirement, their perception of it is actually an escape from a job or a culture that is not stimulating or is toxic. They don't mm. necessarily want to retire. They but they look at retirement because they've reached that notional age that they think they should retire at 65. And they say, well, I'll retire. Whereas, in fact, what they're wanting is a refresh. They're mm -hmm. wanting a new environment or a new job. But they probably might need a good long holiday to 
<laughs> both refresh, but also give themselves the opportunity to get bored or lonely. Um, right. I remember, I remember in my my first retirement at the age of forty seven, I gave myself three tests: would I get bored, broke, or lonely, mm-hmm. as a test as to whether I should go back to work. Now. I don't think I got to any of those stages, but I did go back to work 14 months after I'd left work. I think if I'd been around the second or third year, I could have in it, uh, met each of those. In your work with retirees or people approaching retirement, what are some of the naiveties that you've experienced from your clients? Great question, Dennis. And I think the number one I would put on that naivety list is assumptions about their health and their longevity. That is probably the greatest enabler or impediment to a successful or unsuccessful third Mm. age. Right. Just because we have lived to 60 or 65 doesn't mean to say that we can assume that our bodies will continue us through. And interestingly, in the Australian National Census in 2021, they specifically asked how many health conditions did you have? And they broke it down by age cohort. Mm -hmm. And most people over the age of 55 in Australia were dealing with at least two or three long-term health conditions. Right. And it could be arthritis, uh, you know, osteo or rheumatoid. It could be heart disease, it could be cancer, it could be mental health, it could be a whole range of reasons, either for them or for a significant other, because a significant other may mean that you're in a carer role. Mm, yeah. So there is an assumption, well, the average age is mid-80s, but that's an average by definition. An average requires people both sides of it. So mm-hmm. are you going to be at the 65 or the 105 and that assumption around health and it's probably the area that people don't invest enough time in their 40s and 50s around good health practices that will enable them to have a fulfilling retirement either have the physical or the mental capacity to do what they really want to do whether it's Mm. work or leisure and have they got, and this is the other thing that is a challenge, whether it's for uh, life planning or financial planning, have I got three months to live or have I got three decades to live? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Only one entity knows that. <laughs> yes, yes. So that is the probably number one naivety. And, and if there was an area that I would recommend people really focus on, to get themselves prepared for everything else, it would be that health aspect. The other nuance of that particular point is that we assume that if we did have a health condition, and as baby boomers, we've been used to somewhat instant gratification in many areas of our life, if we did have that health condition, that we can get in to see the appropriate specialist on a timely basis. But I know from talking with clients or friends, that people with significant issues are waiting at least two or three months to get in to see a specialist. 
And in that time, they then have to put their life on hold because they won't travel if they've mm. got that significant event. Then if they do see the specialist, they're then into regular checks, which then impedes also what they're doing. And when they are going to see that specialist, they're in waiting rooms with lots of other people who have got the same issues. So <laughs> their life becomes a series of medical specialists. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to have your medical team built up over time. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit like a you know a Formula One team. You have to have somebody who looks after the brakes, somebody who looks after the engine, somebody who looks after the chassis, and you accumulate this this mm. team of medical specialists. And as for the waiting time, it depends on the country in which you live. Mm. I mean, if you live in mm. Singapore, you can call up a, a specialist and go and see them the next day and probably be operated on the next week. Of mm. course, you, you pay for that, but hopefully you have insurance and in fact we had a whole podcast on health insurance for the over 60s which is another challenge in itself but absolutely right that if, if you're healthy when you reach 60 and you feel fit and you're still doing vigorous exercise it doesn't mean that bits of you are not going to wear out over time because no. inevitably they will and you will need help what you're doing though if you are that fit and healthy 60-year-old and you are adopting good health practices, including regular checks, you are giving yourself the best chance of staying out of the clutches of those medical specialists. Sure. And there is now so much knowledge and technology available that enables us to do a lot of self-monitoring. So things like the wearables over the last decade mm. have really been game changers in terms of regular data on things like sleep or exercise or heart rate. Uh, so you don't have to wait for an event. You actually get a pretty good indication of where you're going. So, for instance, Dennis, I know if I drink too much red wine at night or have too much heavy food, my resting heart rate in the morning ticks up a few points and my heart rate variability in my sleep, as well as my deep sleep quality, really drops. That's important to know. So the challenge there is to drink at lunchtime. I hate to tell you this, Peter, but it's called a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so the serious point, though, I'm making is that we can actually, with a lot of the wearables, uh, be able to do a lot of self-monitoring mm, yes. and know what going on mm. uh, and get that regular feedback without waiting for an adverse event, in which case we're seeing a medical specialist either at short or longer notice. Absolutely. Yeah. That was probably the first naivety, the health and longevity. Mm -hmm. So get that right. The second naivety or ignorance, and partly because of the complexity, is the interaction of the various government taxation, social security, aged care systems. They are very complex to navigate. There are all sorts of rules, loopholes, um, mm. interplays. Yeah. And having a degree of literacy around that or the right advisors who also understand it is quite important. Mm. So investing some time in understanding that so that you've got some understanding before you need it. Because when you need it, 
Very often you're in a urgent situation. So there's a panic mode when you're not necessarily in the right emotional state. So getting your head around that can be, um, enormously advantageous. Yes. The other nuance of that is I do see a lot of what I'd call pre-retirees say, I'm going to do a lot of my saving in the last five to 10 years before my notional retirement age. But often what happens is they might leave it too late and they are more at risk of what we call sequencing risk. Mm, What's that? So sequencing risk is if you retire or planning to retire at a certain stage and just as you retire, there's something like a global financial crisis or a pandemic when markets absolutely crash and then you convert everything into cash because you're going, oh, well, it's too risky and then you miss the bounce back in markets. Your time of when you retire vis-a-vis the investment markets can be quite significant in terms of either having a good long-term retirement or a bad one because there's a particular event that happens at the wrong time, sometime around when you've actually retired, so either just before or just after, Mm -hmm. and there are decisions that are made that may not be in your long-term best interests. So the advice for a 20-year-old is start saving for your retirement age or your third age, let time do its work because waiting until your last five, 10 years, particularly if there are government restrictions on how much you can contribute to things like private pension funds, can therefore limit what your ultimate retirement lifestyle might be like. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's difficult to persuade a 20-year-old that they should start saving now because retirement savings are for old people. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The The other naivety that I'd put in part of my top so we talked about health and longevity. We talked about you know financial interplay. The third one is an assumption that a sea change, tree change, or me change might be the panacea for an unhappy existence now. Oh, I'm going to retire to the far north coast of the country I live in. I'm going to retire into a rural area where I can have my animals and grow a few vegetables and whatever. But in each case, the place that people might choose could be a place that they've had a really good holiday at some stage in their life, mm. but it may not be the place to live. Absolutely. And and the advice that I have given to some clients who've been considering that is, sure, go and experiment with it and explore it and my recommendation is go and take a 12-month lease but do not pack up your lifestyle where you live now until you have survived and understood the four seasons in that particular place that you think is desirable you might find the climate is unfriendly you might find the people are unfriendly You might find that no one comes to visit you. You might find that shopping centres or medical centres or activity centres are not what you thought they would be or you've got to travel a long way to get back to them. So there's lots of things that people take for granted where they live. And so my counsel is certainly consider it, 
do it for 12 months, get the full understanding, but don't pack up your life with a big decision, move away and then go, oh, I've made the biggest mistake of my life. Yes, and that is very, very good advice. I've retired to Penang, Malaysia, which is wonderful. However, I have some of my oldest, bestest friends in the UK, and they ain't going to come all the way to the Far East <laughs> to visit yes. me. It's yes. very, very expensive for them. Yes. So, uh, I mean, I made friends here of course and they're great but i don't see my oldest friends from from the uk that very often and what few relatives i have there as well and the other thing you mentioned was renting before you commit to anything and that's actually something i didn't do i bought an apartment here some years before i actually retired here and when i got here i found that my apartment and the development that i'm on is 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 beautiful it's really nice but it's not very convenient i can't do anything without getting without going in the car i can't even walk down the road because of the position of that development so if i had taken your advice i might have chosen somewhere a different location so i can absolutely identify with that and the, the point you make there dennis is a good one in that even being car dependent in our older age is an assumption that may be invalid because we might lose eyesight or we might not like driving mm. and we might have walking sticks or wheelchairs or whatever. And yeah. so things like either public transport or uh, being in a place that is convenient for taxis or Ubers or even walking, walking distance to the local pharmacy or the yeah. takeaway restaurant or something like that. I was talking to a a school friend recently who had just recently moved from the suburbs into the inner city. And she said that it was great. She said, I can walk out of my apartment, I can go down to the pharmacy and be back home in 10 minutes. Whereas before I had to always get in the car, think about what, what was the trip that I was doing. Right. Um, so yes, thinking about the realities of our older age and even things like being familiar with Uber. My 86-year-old mother gave up her car last year as she moved into aged care. She's an active free bus user, but she also will use Uber if mm. she you know, is going somewhere. Okay. And that, yeah. that's been a terrific source of independence for her without the risks of driving and slower reaction skills uh, or anything else. Sure. And can you just share with us some aha moments that one of your clients might have had through the coaching you know they had some ideas mm. in their head about what they wanted to do in their retirement plan mm. but because you challenged their thinking about what they had in mind they completely changed their mind has there mm. have there been moments like that with your clients oh absolutely uh, a couple of things that i do with clients um is i will with a smile on my face say so dennis you're this age, I pull out the life tables and I say, statistically, you have 27.4 years to live. What do you, what would you like to be when you grow up? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> right. And they say, it's such a long time. And I say, all right, well, look, you're 65 now. Let's go back. You know, so a 65 year old in Australia, say, say it was a, a female would probably have 22 years to live. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, all right, so you're 65. I want you to think back to what you've done since you were 43. So that's 22 years ago. 
that's how long statistically you've got ahead. Now, you look like you're in good health. You might have 32 years. So tell me what you've done in the last 22 years. And they say, oh, well, I've you know seen my kids grow up and I've done this job and I've had this many promotions and I've sold my house and I've done all these things. And I said, well, you may not be going to do all that again, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do to keep yourself busy? Mm. So reframing the actual length of time has been an important factor. And even things like what do you want to be when you grow up, people realize that actually I do have time to go back and do that three-year university degree that I'd always wanted to do. Yes, yeah. Right? And then I can go back to work if I really want to. I think the other aha moments that have come out have been, particularly post-COVID, that we now have the opportunities to work anywhere, anytime, mm. anyhow. So that's been a, a real positive. The other aha moments is when I actually get down to a granular level as to what work has provided people and that will not be there anymore. So purpose, social connections, structure, time management, let alone income. Mm -hmm. So what is going to be your reason to get out of bed in the morning? Or as the Japanese call it, ikigai. What is it that you love? What's their demand to do? What, what, what are you passionate about? If you go and have a look at some of the work by a guy called Dan Butner on the blue zones, which are the, the areas in the world where there's lots of centenarians. So places like Okinawa and Sardinia and Costa Rica, in each case, a lot of the people who are living longer are still working. Right. Mm. They're still walking up and down the steep hills. That keeps them fit. That keeps them healthy. They still have social connections. There's lots of opportunities that we have, but a lot of it is not going to be, I've got plenty of money, I can just pay for it. It's mm -hmm. actually sometimes the non-financial things that we value the most. For instance, I live across the road from a park and I've got a couple of dogs. Most afternoons, I will be in the park in my you know, older clothes because I'm there in the mud with the dogs, but it's a social connection with all the other dog owners. Mm -hmm. doesn't cost me anything apart from a bit of time, but it is enjoyable sharing our dog stories, sharing what's going on in life. And that's the stuff that work brings that is taken away. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and particularly in couples where they have been used to having somewhat separate lives, uh, we need to go from a, um, either independent or interdependent life to a new independent and interdependent life, not a necessarily a dependent life mm. because that, that beca then becomes suffocating and constraining probably for both partners. Absolutely. And we, we did a podcast, uh, on that very subject of relationships as well, because that's something that can, either thrive or suffer horribly once both parties retire. Yeah. And yeah. just before we wrap up, um, you've been immersed in and studied the process of retirement for some years now, and you might have answered this question in a way already, but if someone in their 40s, uh, let's say, came to you, they're in the middle of their career, perhaps reaching the peak, and asked for general advice, what would your top three tips be for retirement success? I think I would reframe it mm -hmm. to say, what's your life plan 
in your 40s, you're probably not even at the halfway point statistically mm, of your life. Mm-hmm. That being said, you might actually be at the peak of your earnings. And there have been studies recently that yeah. said that the age 43 was the peak of your earning capacity. Yeah, that makes sense. So first tip, plan as if you're only at the halfway point of your life. And to repeat what I just said uh, you know, five minutes ago, what do you want to be when you grow mm. up? Mm. So there's a lot of life and a lot of adult life ahead for you. Secondly, that peak of earnings is not live a lifestyle that assumes that that peak of earnings will continue, either because you don't want to work at that same pace and pressure, or the organisation says, for whatever reason, we've had enough of you, uh, we want a new set of skills and competencies to come into our organisation. And uh, that that was what I was finding when I was doing professional career transition work. A lot of my clients were between the ages of 45 and 55. Mm. They had had a very successful career, but they were at a stage where they were expensive. There was a different need in the organisation. The value that was perceived in them was not as high. And therefore, they were having to reinvent at an age. And they used to come in and, and I'm sure you've had the same thing, Dennis, when you were doing that same sort of work. I've got 25 years experience in whatever. And I'd say, well, that's great. But how much of it is relevant for the next five? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. the challenge. Yes. So that then dictates the constant need to be reinventing, to be learning, to keep yourself stimulated. And that applies whether you're in your 40s or your 60s or your 70s, because ultimately that's terrific for Alzheimer's, longevity, mental health generally. Mm -hmm. The third tip in the 40s goes back to my earlier point around health, embedding those overall good well-being and health habits. Mm -hmm. Exercise, nutrition, sleep, social connections, turning off, managing burnout, Get the habits in place at an early stage, which then means you're going to have less problems as you approach the third age so that you then are giving yourself the best chance as well as living a good life. Now, admittedly, that is probably quite a challenge because your 40s is the peak of intensity around career, finances, families and lifestyle. So, what what is sacrificed and it's often health unfortunately Mm, okay all right well thanks very much peter for sharing your insights and and those of your clients and your clients experiences and uh, if someone needed to talk to you or wanted to take advantage of your services how can they contact you the best way probably through linkedin send me a linkedin message peter black executive coach where you can see not only my experience there but it's the way that we connect in a professional way these days. That that has probably been the interesting change over the last 15 or 20 years is the growth of social media and mm. and ultimately for people who may be wanting to unretire, that's effectively probably how they might be finding that next position. So why let's not start there because that's where they may end up um, in their own retirement or unretirement. 
I have a feeling that we're going to be doing another show with you on the on the topic of unretirement and the opportunities therein. Thank you. I look forward to that. Excellent. Thank you very much, Peter, for your time today and, and sharing those insights, which I'm sure have been fascinating for our audience. And I hope that we'll get you on the show again at some point. Yeah. Thanks and a thank lot. You, Den- thank you, Dennis. And, and good to see that you're stimulating your mind through what you're doing here. Uh, you're, you're really a, the epitome of uh, unretirement in what you're doing as part of this podcast. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Bye bye. Yeah. That's all for this episode of Retirement Success. Thank you for joining, and I hope you found the information and insights helpful in your retirement planning journey. If you have a topic you'd like covered in a podcast, drop me an email at retirementsuccess60 at gmail.com. That's retirementsuccess, all one word, numbers 60 at gmail.com. And I'll look for an expert to interview on your topic of interest. In the meantime, keep learning, keep exploring, keep dreaming big, and may the force be with you. Until the next episode of Retirement Success.